drunk with power. Yes, that's it. Okay. Ladies and gentlemen and children of all ages. Let's get ready to Modex. Let's get ready to Modex. Let's get ready to every net. Okay. Tom Nelson, tell us who you are and what you really do. Thanks, Carl. I'm Tom Nelson. I'm a chief customer officer at EveryNet. I love that. I love that title. <laughs> and, and James, speaking about interesting titles, what's your title? I'm the chief technology evangelist of James Bremen Associates. Okay. And what are we going to talk about now? Carl, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, IoT. We're going to talk about supply chain. And we're going to talk about LP WAN solutions to help enable the supply chain. Nice. You know, we, we've got a lot of people here who I think need the benefit of a little bit more connectivity. So I think this is the right audience for it for this conversation. So I will get out of the way and let you two continue. You know, Carl, Tom's been in this industry about as long as anybody. Yes. Right? And I've had a relationship with him that spans uh, like three companies now, right? Yep. Um, and I don't think there's anybody better suited to talk about the differences in the types of technology, the solutions, the use cases, because he's seen them all. And, and that's, why, that's why he's the chief customer guy, because of the fact that he knows the ins and outs and the pitfalls that they could face, correct? That's right, Carl. <laughs> so, so with that said, I'm once again out of the way. <laughs> Thanks, Carl. Let me uh, maybe start off just talking a little bit about uh, a little bit about my background and then jump into EveryNet and a little bit about our business models. Perfect. That's perfect. Okay. So my background is um, I've been in, uh, I call it IoT, but really prior to IoT, we called it machine to machine. Uh, prior to that, we called it uh, telematics and a variety of different uh, terms that have been applied to this uh, topic. But uh, early on, I was uh, a director of marketing over at Sprint. And at that time, we launched uh, IoT services uh, domestically and uh, got a really good vantage on all the different solutions that are out there um, and learnings from the industries and the verticals and the segments that we were seeing gain traction. Uh, after Sprint, I went over to a technology um, uh, enabler called Jasper. Unicorn. They were unicorn, yes. So, uh, so Jasper's responsibility was a connectivity management layer, um, basically providing connectivity management for IoT solutions around the globe. And in that role, I was the uh, global go-to-market uh, lead for uh, Jasper, uh, later on Cisco, and had the opportunity to help launch IoT services uh, in over 20 countries with almost every service provider that you can think of, uh, well north of uh, 50 service providers. And so what's interesting to me is looking, this is not necessarily a cookie cutter business. What works in one country, what is working in one segment may be different than another country. So taking those learnings and those experiences and understanding where you can gain traction, um, what can you do to provide shortcuts and ways to more quickly enable um, a variety of different IoT solutions. So that's a little background on myself. Um, the question is, well, who's EveryNet? And so some comments there, uh, we build um, low-cost, ultra-low-cost IoT networks 
globally. And so as part of that, it's uh, leveraging on uh, LP WAN, and we'll talk a little bit about uh, LoRaWAN solutions specifically, and how those can help drive lower costs for enabling and connecting devices to the network. Uh, what LoR what uh, EveryNet does is we pull together a set of curated ecosystem solutions. It's all based upon the LoRa standard, so there's well north of 500 different companies that are part of the LoRa Alliance. It's an open network, which means anybody can bring solutions and applications to the network. And with that, we are working with a variety of different models to help make it happen. Uh, a lot of different mixed operating models from uh, national networks to local and tying those pieces together. Um, we have a 24 by 7 NOC uh, in Italy and others in uh, Brazil that we help manage uh, all these connected devices coming onto the network. And so we go deep on technology. We, uh, our CTO is the co-author of the LoRaWAN spec. And uh, so we have a lot of in-house uh, expertise and responsibility in pulling all these kind of IoT networks together. The question, um, a quick background on our, our networks. So James, if you kind of look from the right to the left, starting with uh, Indonesia. So we are deploying uh, a national LoRaWAN network in uh, Indonesia, starting with Jakarta, breaking Jakarta, Java Island and the whole perimeter of uh, Indonesia. And of course, Indonesia being uh, the fourth largest population center in the US, it is massive IoT. And there's really a strong need in Indonesia for massive IoT. We also have solutions in Spain, Barcelona, uh, Madrid, and others uh, blanketing out uh, that space, as well as uh, Brazil. We're currently in uh, 220 cities in Brazil. Now we're roughly about 70% of GDP. What's interesting, if you look at Brazil from a geography space, it's about the same size as the US in terms of uh, geography covered. So we have work there, and we also have work uh, going on in Mexico. And we'll talk a little bit about the US as well. But that's a quick footprint around uh, where we're located. So one of the questions I get is, what is LoRaWAN? And uh, so let me give you a brief summary. It's an open standard, um, and it is really driven around having the most inexpensive possible cost for IoT that you can have. So if you think about the different stacks or the different layers of having IoT, it is a wide area network, so it can go a very long space, five to 10 kilometers, even more, but have an access to the network and preserve a very low cost battery. And so by having those kinds of components coming together, it allows you to have something north of Wi-Fi in terms of a long range type covering, but less expensive than cellular. So when we're talking about supply chain and connecting all these sensors and devices to the network, it becomes another economic approach to help launch networks and launch IoT services, preserving that low cost capability. One last slide, and I'll just talk a little bit about leveraging IoT for the supply chain. When I think about the supply chain starting off at the factory, and we have a variety of factory solutions on the floor today, from pallets, from bins, from different components that need to be tracked within the factory. Uh, Laura um, 
is uh, well suited for uh, factory type solutions. Once they leave the factory, they may need to leave uh, either by ship or by truck uh, out to a warehousing capability and from the warehouse out to the final destinations. And so some of the uh, conversations that we had earlier today in the IoT Pavilion, we're talking about getting data and information from all these devices as they're working through their supply chain. And as they're working through the supply chain, that can really provide value in terms of analytics and understanding where your supply chain's at in a distributed manner and helping kind of pull all those pieces together. So that's a quick summary of EveryNet um, and uh, what we're doing around supply chain. So one of the first things you said um, was you, you talked about um, you have a curated ecosystem. Um, does that mean no science experiment? You know, can you explain what the curated ecosystem really looks like? Yeah, that's a good question. So there's a number of different solutions that are out there available under LoRa. Like I mentioned, it's an open alliance, and so open capabilities. And so what we're doing is we're bringing together some end-to-end -end solutions specifically that take advantage of LoRa. And to help facilitate that ecosystem, we actually have laboratory facilities that can take a look at the device and the sensor, certify uh, the, the amount of battery that it takes, the how, it well, how well it propagates on the network, and provide guidance back to the ecosystem on ways that they can help improve to make sure they're maximizing the networks that they're deploying in. So it's open ecosystem along with uh, providing our support and help to them to help have um, we call it products that not only are for sale, but products that can scale. A lot of times when I talk as an analyst to, to um, the carrier world, they say we have to bring wireline or high-speed bandwidth into the factory because that's what factories require. We need, uh, we have to have location capable technologies. We have to have blanketed coverage um, uh, around the world. Um, but when I take a look at the different spectrum bands and the different technologies out there, say I select a carrier like Sprint, am I able to roam everywhere in the world? Am I ever able to capture that? How does, how does uh, every net um, plan to be able to actually overcome some of those obstacles that, I, to me, oftentimes maybe look like smoke and mirrors? Yeah, no, it's, it's a good question. And, and I, when we take a look at different uh, access technologies, uh, to your question, is cellular appropriate for the factory? Uh, is different a variety of different access technologies, whether it's Bluetooth, Zigbee, Wi-Fi, LoRa? Uh, my perspective is the answer is probably yes. Uh, I don't think that there's one solution that is the winner. I think it's a variety of different applications based upon what needs to occur. But what's interesting to me in the fit for LPWAN and specific for LoRa is if you have thousands, if not millions of, of packages and containers that need to be tracked, um, especially as it starts to move outside of the factory floor, then we start to take a look at the real cost dynamics. 
and taking a look at having a ultra low cost way of managing that particular device throughout, throughout its life cycle. And that's where there's really some cost economics that can come into play in terms of looking at how a LoRa solution fits into the overall supply chain. I think it's been said by one of your colleagues, IoT is about bits, billions, and cents, right? Um, how different are the business models that you're seeing from companies deploying LoRa compared to the old, it's X dollars a month and you get X amount of bandwidth in the cellular world? There's, there's many different kind of differentiators when we think about deploying a, a LoRa solution. The first key is the, if we think about it in terms of a, a pyramid, James, for the top of the pyramid, you might be thinking about a satellite or a, a cellular connection. Because of the expense of that, you can only track a certain, let's say, price point or a certain value of asset that's moving around the country. So to me, the business model is we start to move that bar lower. Now we can start to get to massive IoT devices massive containers, and so for those pieces, we can track uh, for just, as you mentioned, cents uh, to track those particular devices versus um, many dollars. And then the other component to it is the battery life. And so cellular, as a technology, consumes battery at a higher level than, um, than LoRa does. So with LoRa, we can have batteries that last five to 10 years. So that means we have less truck rolls and going out and refreshing technology. So those two aspects together means the line is going lower and now we're tracking a variety of different devices that we wouldn't have imagined before. What about form factors, you know? Um, earlier you showed me a little little device. You wanna share that with, uh, with the audience? And, and yeah, so the the question is, well, how big is a LoRa device? And so there's hundreds of different form factors. Um, this is one that we have. This is a form factor that we have that would go uh, inside a pallet. Okay, so this is uh, an active LoRa device, slides on the inside of a pallet. You, as you can see, you can screw, you can bolt it in. There's as many form factors for the devices uh, that you can imagine, uh, devices that go around uh, pipes or cylinders, devices that can go into harsh um, uh, environments, devices that can go into um, sub-zero uh, environments. So if we're tracking a deep freeze in a medical facility that needs to be super cold, where batteries typically are a problem, provides those services, as well as in tropical environments. So not only from a form factor that they come in a lot of different um, solutions, but also from the rugged nature of the capability to, to track these different services. But this is an example of the, uh, the LoRa devices, and you can see the, it's a very small chip that goes inside, a, in, inside the device itself. You know, uh, oftentimes we talk to the cellular guys, or even Wi-Fi guys, and, they, and we talk about size, size matters. Um, for, for this type of thing. Battery life matters, usage matters. And, and you know, it took years to get a, a cell phone down into this size. Um, 
that's pretty darn small. Can you talk a little bit about the cost, where we're at from a cost standpoint? Did it cost a lot of money to miniaturize that stuff? The way the cellular guys say it's cost a lot of money to miniaturize stuff? There's a couple aspects to the battery. The one is based upon LoRa technology. We're not sending a lot of data to the network. So while you're sending, a, um, could be volumes of data off your cell phone, we're sending just a small amount. So the LoRa device might be sitting there in a sleep mode, let's say in a cold chain environment where it needs to be a particular temperature. It will only send the information up if we realize that we're out of, um, out of the temperature range. And so that preserves battery and helps reduce the cost from that perspective. On the price points, for more complicated devices, it could be north of $50 for a device. Uh, we're seeing some of these coming in at 20 and eventually with volume down to $10, and I could imagine that could even get lower. So the, the cost of the device is a uh, small component. And as we mentioned, the network services is just a few dollars a year. So when you add those two pieces together, you're starting to now connect devices that you never connected before. So that's a, that's a great tracking device, right? Um, but there are, there are other things that want to be monitored for does, does it have anything in it? Dry bins, um, tanks, containers. Uh, you mentioned packages. Is this something that you could actually throw into a package? Is it to the price point where you could disrupt... Um, you know, I, I actually had to send a thick contract via a FedEx envelope. I, I go to the FedEx store. They said, well, if you really want to track this thing, we can sell you this cellular device that was twice the size of my cell phone, you know, and, and we'll charge you $40 round trip for that. And, it, and by the way, if you don't bring it back to the store, you're going to get buzzed for a couple hundred dollars for the, yeah. the cost of the device. Is this something that you think ultimately somebody could put a business model together on a tracker of that size and almost make it simple and disposable? Yeah, I mean, what are the values of the technology is it's exceedingly simple. So when you put the device into the package, whether that's a FedEx package, whether it's a package that's a box or a container, um, the device self-provisions itself on, on top of the network. So it just turns itself on and it, it just works out of the box, if you will. So it's not only the form factor size and the cost, is that by using the wireless technology with LoRa, it just works. And so from use cases that you just simply want to put the device in a package or box and track it, like what you described, it would be a perfect fit for that because there's no configuration at all, turns itself and provisions on the network. Interesting. So I'm gonna turn to the audience right now and, and see if there's aren't any, any questions out there. Because I can see Steve Brummer's talking a lot, and he's probably got a lot of questions. Can you hang on for a mic? So, Tom, we talked about, you said a couple of dollars a year. It, obviously, cost is great, but what's the whole solution look like? I mean, is it comparable to what you have to do for LTEM or CADM or MBIOT? Is the cost and everything else associated with it very similar? Yeah, it's a good question on the cost. 
so from a sensor perspective, if we just look at it from the device side of the house, and you look at the cost from, a, let's say, an NBOT device versus a lower device, there is a dramatic cost difference from that perspective. But sometimes I think people get fixated on the physical cost of what the device is and not considering the battery life. So when you talked about a, a bin or a storage component that's sitting out by itself in a remote location that has no power, and so the battery savings from just the way the pure technology works is also a key driver in addition to the physical cost and the connectivity layer. You wrap all those together, now you start to move that bar down so you're tracking and monitoring devices that you'd never do before. Yeah. Other questions from the audience? Okay, I will ask one. Can we talk about, you're in multiple locations now, different countries and things like that. Is there a difference in vertical applications that they want, from, uh, they want to deploy with you? What do you see as the nuances between Asia, Americas, Europe? Yeah, so there, there is differences, uh, Carl. There's, there's applications that we see that are kind of simple track and trace. Um, one of the key themes that we've seen over the last um, year, year and a half has been distributed supply chain. So an example that we've got going on in Brazil right now is we're working with an automobile manufacturer. And so they manufacture vehicles in Brazil. They distribute their ability to make all the parts for that particular car around different countries and also across Brazil. And what's interesting to me is that they can actually have molds that they have licensed and they give out to other distributors. Every time that mold is pressed, it goes up to the cloud and informs the manufacturer that a mold has been created for a bumper. Why is that important? What's interesting is let's say I license to you to make 100,000 bumpers for me. But I realize that you actually made 120,000 bumpers. What happened to those other 20,000 bumpers? Now I know that information. So from a distributed supply chain, I can more intelligently manage where my products are and I can make sure I don't have illegal OEM parts in the, in the market that are competing against me. So what we're starting to see is distributed supply chains that are tying into a factory environment that take advantage of a low cost product that just provisions itself and works, but it doesn't have to send a lot of data. Just I, I made a mold and I went back to the cloud. It's that kind of uh, applications and use cases that are really intriguing because now I can have a distributed factory floor and when those cars are moving outside of the uh, uh, factory to port and out to sea, we can actually track the car and all the various parts as it's going in. I have a question, uh, two parts. Um, part one is who's your target customer? Uh, what kind of um, uh, systems integrators or application providers are you looking to uh, do business with? And the second thing is on a per point or per sensor or per uh, LoRa device, uh, do you have an average uh, cost, say, in the U.S.? So um, on, the, on the first question, I believe the question was, who is the target customer that we're talking about? And so as you can think about, there's a variety of uh, customers that are out there that can take advantage of this capability. So for instance, in this last example that I talked about in Brazil, 
the end customer is actually the automobile manufacturer that's creating the parts. And oftentimes, this will go through an SI or a, an integrator that's helping package and pull all these different pieces together. They may do the analytics or the data ingestion layer and do some of those components north of connectivity. And that's often the key customer is working with SIs and BARs. It uh, could be an MVNO that's packaging all these solutions together and getting that out to market. And so it's an, it's an open ecosystem, but it would be those kinds of players that would wrap solutions together and help provide connectivity as just part of their solution set. Okay. Other questions from the audience? A connectivity cost per point? Connectivity cost per point. The connectivity cost per, per device. So what we're seeing in the connectivity prices, it's a little bit dependent on the use case. So if the use case is I want to ping that particular device constantly, is it once a day, week, month, what does that look like? But a typical kind of LoRaWAN connection would be a few dollars a year. So it's, it's, a re, it's a marketed improvement in terms of the cost per connectivity for the device. And then that number can vary a little bit depending upon um, if it's a bin, is it, is it being filled every day, every week, every month? What is that, what's the dynamics of that? But it really does lower that bar of now I can connect a lot of devices that are sprinkled around the country and understand what the status is. Yeah. I think I would answer that a little bit differently because LoRa is not just a, um, uh, a nationwide network, right, or a, or, or a regional-wide network. It can also be done in campus environments. So, you know, how are you looking to manage your connectivity uh, at, at what you're doing? gets it into the, I can buy a gateway, and a whole bunch of devices, tracking devices, in my facility, a heck of a lot cheaper, and I can de deploy Wi-Fi and a, a bunch of tiles, right? And manage them easier, right? Uh, like, like that? No, that's exactly right. So you could take and put a LoRa application within your factory, and then we can extend that to a national network. Um, so um, now um, you're, um, you're... Imagine in a factory how many Wi-Fi, how many Netgear devices you, you have to deploy, how many collisions, packet collisions, yeah. you, you see from that, and, and, and then you're spending, you know, five, ten bucks a, a device for a, a tile device, and you have something that's kind of an industrialized version of that with one or two gateways, yeah. right? And with that said, I think it's time to wrap up. Are you sure? I'm pretty damn sure, yes. Okay. <laughs> so please give him a round of applause. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, James.